1: Good afternoon and welcome to the Saturday edition of the Best of Fight Back from the week that was. It's been more than a week now since nursing home residents in this province have been allowed to leave for overnight visits. But how this works is at the discretion of the long-term care homeowners Is this a good idea during the pandemic, especially when older people are most at risk of experiencing severe symptoms related to COVID-19 and in light of the devastation caused by the virus in nursing homes this past spring? This was among the topics our Zoomer squad tackled this past Monday, joining Libby Snymer, Bill Van Gorder, acting chief policy officer at CARP. Peter Mugrich, senior editor of Zoomer Magazine, and David Kravitz, VP here at Zoomer Media. Each home
2: uh, has the right to some discretion over coming back in, going back, going out. It's quite logical that one side would not fit all. And I think it's part of a larger discussion I, I hope we have today about the degree to which individuals are now going to have to step up and do an awful lot of uh policing and management of all these different regulations, some of them contradictory. So we're seeing the one big central answer dissolved into dozens of sort of mini answers that people are going to have to somehow navigate. Peter, what do you think?
3: One of the stipulations is the uh, home has to have the ability to Uh, how is the patient in isolation uh, when he comes back from an overnight visit? I'm not sure how many homes have that ability. Some of the better organized ones probably will, but if they don't have that ability, then they're going to just say no to the visit.
4: Mm -hmm. Bill?
3: It really boils down to the inconsistency that confuses and worries a lot of our uh, CART members. For instance, uh, you have to self-isolate for 14 days if you've been out of, of your facility for overnight, uh, but you don't have to, you've, if you've been out all day. What's, what's the difference? Why, why is one, uh, seemingly more risky than, uh, than another? Uh, people are feeling that the restrictions are being eased, uh, too, too quickly and without real thought and finally without real constant, uh, uh, consultation with the seniors and their their families, they're feeling totally left out of this whole discussion of what being, uh, what's being done to uh, try to protect them or not.
4: I'm assuming that the distinction is uh, simply that if you're overnight, it's a longer period of time, so a chance for longer exposure, for what that's worth.
3: <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's probably it, but I, I I don't think people really, really understand why. Uh, if you're out during the day, you're in many different places, you're probably exposed to uh, uh, more uh, chances of contracting the virus than if you're overnight and, and staying in a family member's home.
4: Bill, what's this issue about at-home testing kits? Uh, I can certainly understand why someone who is in a vulnerable group, uh, a Older person doesn't want to stand in line with a whole bunch of people who are afraid they have the virus
3: well that that's true and and also uh, people feel that if they could do their own testing, it would e- ease their anxiety it would be uh, you know supportive of maintaining a kind of a positive outlook of being able to look after my myself my own uh, my own health and give them an opportunity to to test when uh, Uh, When they can't get to a facility, uh, people who are uh, uh, very much confined to their own home for other reasons and can't easily get out, uh, people who don't have family, to take them for testing. And testing is, is only uh, available, really, if you think you have a, a solid reason that you contract- might have contracted the virus. And this gives you an opportunity to do your own, uh, your own testing and know whether or not you're safe. It all comes down to relieving that anxiety and concern that's being felt by so many older adults uh, these days.
2: Well, I, I just don't understand the underlying logic of Health Canada saying that there's a risk for a false positive or it's a risk you're going to not do the thing properly. I mean, are they forbidding me to go online and look up uh, uh, signs that you may have COVID and come to my own diagnosis without such a test? I mean, people are should be free to be able to avail themselves of uh uh, you know, what's out there, unless there's something dangerous about the test itself, which I don't believe there is.
1: David Kravitz, VP at Zoomer Media, Peter Muggridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine, and Bill Van Gorder, Acting Chief Policy Officer at CARP, A New Vision of Aging. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. It was all the talk in Canada last weekend when activists toppled a statue of Canada's first Prime Minister, Sir John A. MacDonald, in Montreal. It took place during a protest calling for the defunding of Montreal's police force. The falling statue's trajectory caused the head to fly off and bounce onto the cobblestones below the moment captured on video. The incident took place following a peaceful march through downtown Montreal, one of several demonstrations held across Canada organized by a coalition of black and indigenous activists. Canadians have been divided over the issue of renaming streets and removing historical statues for several years now. So the question is erasing historical markers and monuments a productive way to combat racism or is there another more effective way to establish reforms? Libby posed this question to Anthony Fury, columnist at the Toronto Sun, Daniel Paul, a Mi'kmaq elder, author, and human rights activist in Halifax, and Dr. Ron Stagg, a professor of history at Ryerson University
3: some people say oh McDonald was somebody from long ago he had different opinions that's okay if you're in a story and that's true if you're somebody living today you have to deal with it by modern standards so yes he was a racist there was no doubt about it however where i come from is if you tear all these things down in a generation the people who went through residential schools will be gone In two generations, the people who grew up in those families will be gone. How are people going to know about these issues unless you leave the statues up and you put plaques on them saying, here are the good things this person did, here are the bad
5: things?
4: Daniel Paul, in Halifax, what's your view of that?
5: My view of it is, if you want to learn history, put it in history books and... uh, What's the statue got to do with history? It has nothing. It's, uh, what it is to me is a glorifying uh, men, colonial men, that uh, in some cases committed some horrible crimes. And in uh, uh, McDonald's case, he was the founder of res- Indian Residential Schools. And hopefully uh, they're never forgotten and they won't be forgotten if we Begin to write history books to reflect how history transpired. And uh, John MacDonald uh, was a part of history, and so was Edward Cornwallis and other people of uh, colonial people. And they should be uh, remembered, perhaps for their good deeds, but. Also, for some of the horrible things they did.
4: Yeah, uh, but, uh, you know, in the case of Sir John A. MacDonald, uh, the argument is, as you pointed out, so he was father of Confederation, the first Prime Minister. Does that uh, give him a pass for having a statue?
5: Not my opinion, no. uh, He negated uh, his uh, record when he began to... Uh, promote a uh, uh, Canada that was Anglo, and uh, in his opinion, it should remain that way. Uh, you know, the man is always uh, also responsible for the Chinese Exclusion Act and other uh, piece of legislation that were white supremacist in nature, and he is not a hero in my book, and uh, I would think and. Most indigenous people in Canada don't look at him as so
4: okay anthony fury i'm I'm betting you disagree well, I do,
6: and I see statues of Sir John A Macdonald more statues representative of the founder of our nation, the man who made us, as opposed to statues about about this particular individual and the story of his life and I believe that Canada is the best nation in the world, one of the best countries in the world, providing you know, prosperity and opportunity for many, and everybody want, you know, is lining up to come to Canada from countries all around the world. I welcome them here, and they're attracted uh, to the story of Canada. And I think that those statues are symbolizing that. I think it's symbolizing uh, the greatness of the nation. And that is why I believe it's good for us to have statues of Sir John A. MacDonald.
4: And do you think uh, that there's anything, to, do they have to have uh, plaques, as Dr. Stagg is suggesting, to, uh, to enumerate the bad things they did as well as the good things, or you just leave the statues?
6: Uh, well, I would leave the statues, but I have no problem with uh, people being taught and learning about all the different elements that uh, the two other gentlemen refer to, and, and you know, reading biographies and stories of Sir John A. Macdonald, and, and, and history class in high school and universities teaching uh, warts and all. So I, I'm I'm totally fine with everybody knowing the whole story, including uh, the negative things, the shameful things in in our country's legacy.
1: Anthony Fury, columnist at the Toronto Sun, Daniel Paul, a Mi'kmaq elder, author, and human rights activist in Halifax, and Dr. Ron Stagg, a professor of history at Ryerson University. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Back to school during COVID 19 continues to cause worry and concern for teachers, parents, and grandparents. This past week, the presidents of all all four major teachers' federations in Ontario announced that they are asking the Ontario Labour Board for an expedited hearing alleging the larger class sizes in elementary schools contravene workplace safety rules and go against public health guidelines. Premier Doug Ford is acknowledging there will be COVID-19 outbreaks in some schools, but he's also begging, his word, teachers to go back to class and do their part to help during the pandemic. At the same time, the new Liberal leader, Stephen Del Duca, announced he set up a so-called Keep Our Schools Safe platform, encouraging Ontario residents to share their concerns about going back to school under the current plan. It was a hot topic of discussion for our strategy panel this past Tuesday, Joining Libby Snymer, Karen Stins, CEO of Variety Village and former Toronto City Councilor and Mayoral Candidate. John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road. And Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Earnscliff Strategy Group in Toronto
7: we're seeing an increase in cases in most of the large provinces. We're seeing uh, obviously what's happening in the United States, but we're also most concerningly seeing a resurgence in Europe. So there is every reason to think that a second wave is imminent. I mean, the Canadian numbers are probably best explained by the fact that we have opened up our economy, but no one's really quite sure if the second wave is already here. So in the context of the classroom, it's, it's obviously a great concern the one thing the ford government has failed to do and the one thing that probably would have made the biggest difference of all was reducing sizes of classes and that was an option the premier has said he's done everything in his power to do what he can do to protect our kids except this one little detail and and that is of significant concern and obviously a lot of tension with the unions i mean we've seen this government when it first came to power very much on ideological bent. It was intent on increasing class sizes from an average of 22.5 students per class to 28 students per class. I don't think anyone could afford seeing what's happening now, but the chickens are coming home to roost. So everyone is holding their breath, myself especially, given that I have two young children going back to school next week.
4: John, what do you think? Look,
8: Kids have to go back to school. Parents want kids to go back to school, and kids need to go back to school. But you know, that said, there's going to be precautions, and we have to be careful. And this premier has done everything he possibly can to ensure that that by schools opening, that he's following every letter of the law by by health expe- by health experts and professionals. So he's doing everything he possibly can to ensure that kids can go back in a safe way. And I just have to say, look, we just just have to look back to March when this pandemic was happening and everybody was at a state of, of crisis and not knowing what's going on. You know, the grocery stores, the truck drivers, the healthcare workers, the emergency service workers, all came and became heroes because they adapted to what the situation was to ensure that the economy and that people are going back together. And what the premier is saying is to teachers and to principals and to school board trustees is, look, we need to do. We need to have a can-do. This is his words: a can-do attitude, and let's just see if we can do it. But, but knowing that there could be a problem, but we've got we've got precautions in the event that there is something that happens. You can't ask for anything more than that. With, with the unknown that we're
9: in, Karen, uh, do you buy that explanation? It, no one has a solution. Nobody knows what the, you know, quote unquote, right thing to do is. I mean, I think to John's point, and and I echo it very strongly one of the most important things we need to do right now i mean back in march the most important thing we needed to do was protect the healthcare system and stop the spread of covid and but i think there's a growing recognition that this is not with us for a short period of time this is likely the reality for the next 2 years of our life so if we accept that and because i don't believe that there's any cure that that, that um, a vaccine is going to bring to us in the short term if we accept that then we have to say i think collectively Getting the kids back to school is an, is the now most important thing that we need to focus on, not just to, not just because we know that the mental aspe- mental health aspects of keeping them at home for too long have now started to reveal themselves, and it's for the economy, but also for these kids. They need their education, and to have to have this gap of education is will be felt in years to come. And so, if we accept that, then then I think Ford is right. We. We are working in the face of a ton of unknowns, but can we all agree that it's really important that we do this together and that we work through the unknowns as we encounter them? Because there is, there is no government in the world that opened up the schools with all of the answers.
1: Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village. John Capobianco, Senior VP and Senior Partner at Fleischman Hillard High Road. And Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Ernst Cliff Strategy Group in Toronto. This is the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Paying rent continues to be a challenge for many small business owners struggling to stay afloat during the pandemic. The federal government's rent relief program has been criticized for months because it's up to landlords to apply rather than tenants who run businesses. This past week, the new finance minister, Christian Freeland, promised changes are coming. She also extended the government's interest-free business loans until the end of October. But is that enough? On Tuesday, Libby was joined by Laura Jones, Executive VP of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, Mike Diocaran of Mike's Liberty Grill, and Al Carbone, who recently announced he's had to close his Kit Kat restaurant on King Street West.
10: Well, it's been over five months, Libby, Bills are coming out of our ears everywhere and, uh, there's nobody downtown. Uh, the office towers are closed. Uh, you name it. It's closed. Like the theaters are closed. All the food courts down are closed. People are working from home. They're not coming back for a while. Um, maybe the new year or the end of next year, uh, it's very difficult.
4: Mike, how are you managing uh, with your restaurant here in Liberty Village?
11: Well, I share the same sentiment uh, of uh, the owner of KitKat. Kit um, we are highly uh, dependent upon the people to return back to work. We have been closed since March of this year. Um we have given a shot uh, to reopen after the phase the phase three was lifted. We did so in the entire month of August, zero revenue, zero sales. The bills are still standard at hundred percent. There's nothing we can do about that. And we were hoping yesterday that um, you know given the little rent relief that the government gives us that they would have extended and put a cap on it till December until they worked out um, the different programs, you know, like they did with the wage subsidy. And uh, we are keeping our finger crossed and hope that, you know, because uh, that's our only um, hope right now. I thought they would have done something tailored directly for the restaurant industry, which is one of the most hard-hitted uh, business.
4: I'd like to bring in Laura Jones with the Canadian Federation of independent business. In terms of the rent subsidy, you know, it's been criticized. Your group has been criticizing it for months because it's up to the landlord to get it and not to the tenant. Uh, What kind of progress has there been? Yesterday, Christopher Freeland said, you know, hang on, changes are coming. But is that soon enough?
12: Well, we're for some business owners are, you know, this is six months. Today marks six months. Of being in you know extremely difficult business um, conditions due to COVID-19 with no um, relief on one of their biggest expenses, which is which is rent. So um, you know we're we're pleased that we have a new finance minister who seems to be taking a fresh look at this, but there is definitely a sense of urgency. And I think you know yesterday. Business owners felt, you know, maybe there was a little bit of hope in some of what she's saying, but you can't take hope to the bank. So um, we really need to change this program so that business owners can get the help if they need it, whether or not their landlord um, decides to apply.
4: Al, was rent a factor in your decision?
10: Was maybe uh, a big factor. Even though they uh, have applied for the rent relief, which they got for... July, August, and uh, April, May, June, I paid some. They paid some. And my rent is so high, I have to cut my losses.
12: Laura, what would you like to leave us with? I I just want to encourage all um, small, small, uh, you know, all customers who care about local um, businesses to, you know, get out there. I I know it's tough, and people are worried about their own pocketbook issues. But when you're making a choice between Amazon and local, choose local um, because they really, really need your support right now. And a lot of small business owners have told us that that connection with customers has been critical to get through not just a financially tough time, but it's been a really emotionally difficult time. Imagine being worried about your livelihood every day, all day, and taking that to bed with you every night. That's where a lot of business owners are at, and that connection with customers has just been critical for them. Laura Jones,
1: Executive Vice President of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, Mike Diocaran of Mike's Liberty Grill, and Al Carbone of the now closed KitCap Bar and Grill on King West. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zuma Radio's Best of Fight Back. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the past week. Gerald in Toronto phoned about controversial historical statues and what we should do about them.
13: Actually, I had an idea. Um months ago when they had the signs uh, debate, and to me uh, the monuments are, are an extension of that debate, is that we have that, but why don't we get into the 21st century and have maybe a 3D uh, barcode on the sign or in front of the statue and then the tourists or the people who are interested, like this is the 21st century, they all have those smartphones that they can take a look at those 3D images and then it can populate, you know, the information that should be known to us, the history, the good, the bad. Because if we don't have both sides of the story, how can we go forward? But I believe the statute should remain, but this is what this person we see as good. This is what we, this person did we see as bad.
1: Mike in Etobicoke phoned about a scenario if teachers stopped doing their jobs in the event of a COVID-19 outbreak.
6: If school starts, and then there's an outbreak, and then, and then the teachers stop te- teaching, well, they still get paid the full amount. So maybe we need to tell them, look, you're going to have to go on CERB. If you don't teach, you go on CERB. You're not gonna, still going to make your ninety dollars or, or 100000 a year. And, and maybe that would, you know, everybody would be a little bit more compliant here and, and get the kids back in
0: school. And now, Fight Back's Knockout Call of the Week.
1: There were a lot of great calls, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Brian in Caledon, who says he really feels for small business owners during the COVID 19 crisis. I
2: feel sorry for the Kit Kat. I'm a nervous subscriber, and since the pandemic and everything's closing up, I haven't been able to go there. We used to go there once a month, and I feel sorry for Al. I really do. We try and I live near Georgetown. We try and go to some of the small restaurants that we do take out Wednesday, that type of thing. That thing was the closing of Tucker's Marketplace. We used to go there quite often for birthdays, celebrations. And I have still $200 in gift cards for Tucker's Marketplace. Now I can't use.
1: That does it for today's Best to Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback@zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at fightbacklibby Libby and have your say anytime on our Fight Back voicemail at 416-367-9636. 416 416- three six seven nine six three six i'm jane brown join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of fight back
0: the best of fight back is produced by jane brown justin ecock and zeve Paddy, with technical production by kelly robotham executive producer moses nimer you're listening to an exclusive podcast of fight back on zoomer radio